Good afternoon. Great to be here with you. Thank you for inviting me. The passage of scripture that has been given to me for this session, which is entitled Grieve Not the Spirit, of course, is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. For our purposes today, I would like to consider with you 12 truths that the New Testament presents about the Holy Spirit. Now, these are all interrelated truths, and we're going to spend more time on some of these uh, headings than others, obviously. But while we are thinking about this, I want you to please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. I'll give you a moment to do that. John chapter 16. And we're going to highlight a passage in John chapter 16. It is verses 15 through 26. Verses 15 through 26. We're going to go there in just a moment. But I want to uh, give you this list and then we're going to, I'll, I'll mention each of these points again as we go to them. First on the list is the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Secondly, then, the Holy Spirit personally cares for believers. The Holy Spirit has intellect. The Holy Spirit has feelings. The Holy Spirit has a will. The Holy Spirit can speak. The Holy Spirit can convict. The Holy Spirit can intercede. The Holy Spirit can guide. The Holy Spirit can glorify. The Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4.30, is the guarantor of eternal redemption in Christ for those who believe in him. On that point, also in the first chapter of Ephesians, if you notice in verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And finally, the Holy Spirit is grieved when we reject him or when we do not allow him to perform what he is capable of performing in us, through us, and for us. The Holy Spirit is grieved when God's children refuse to change. They want to hold on to their old ways of sin. They don't want to exchange those old ways for the righteous new way of life in Christ. All right, back to that first point and then to our passage in John. And uh, I think, did I tell you 16? What I want is 14, I'm sorry. 16 is good too, and it's going to be mentioned. But here's what we want. 14, 15 through 26. Now, here's what I want you to do. Just take a couple of moments and look at that passage. And I want you to count the pronouns that are used in reference to the Holy Spirit. Just make a count of those pronouns like he and him in that passage. I'm going to give you a moment to do, to do that. All right, in this particular passage, anyone want to volunteer the, their count? Give us their number. No one's wanting to volunteer. 
6. Thank you. I'm going to read the passage now with emphasis. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me, because I live. You will live also. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him, at, we will come to him, and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So six times, personal pronoun is used. If you look at John 16, verse 13 and 14, you have nine times in that short section. Nine times that the personal pronoun, he or him, is used for that Holy Spirit. And if you expand the reading, look at verses 5 through 14 of John 16, you have... 11 times. We are all here because we want to stop grieving the Holy Spirit, right? That's the purpose of this assignment, I think. Here's the start. Do you want to stop grieving the Holy Spirit? Stop calling him it. Would you like to be called it? Would you come if you were called it? <clears throat> we've, been, uh, we've been having Carpenter Bill work on our uh, house a little bit, trying to make things a little more accommodating for my father-in-law. The stair rail, for some reason in our home, was a little wobbly. And uh, we also were having some attention given to the only uh, bathroom that has a bath, a shower, that being the upstairs bathroom. And so Carpenter Bill has been, uh, when he's done with other jobs in the evening, coming by our house and doing an hour or two working on these things. Well, there, I won't take time to try to explain Carpenter Bill to you, but he talks nonstop. And I was in the other room actually working on this presentation, and Carpenter Bill was over there by the stair rail working, and he was jabbering away, and he kept saying the name Jerry. Well, every day that he would come, he would have an assistant with him, and I didn't know this assistant's name. I hadn't met him yet. I assumed he was talking to Jerry. He was talking to me. He'd forgotten my name. I didn't come because he wasn't calling me. And so when I figured out that it was directed at me, well, then I went over there, and then here's what he does. Bill introduces me to his assistant, Charlie. And I say, hello, Charlie, I'm Steve. 
And Charlie says, well, Charlie's not my name. My name is George. He just always calls me Charlie. <laughs> if you would, beginning today, resolve to never more refer to, think of, consider the Holy Spirit as an it, I guarantee you, that your relationship to him, your knowledge of him, and the work that he can do in your life will grow so tremendously, such as is beyond my capacity to explain to you. It is a grievous blunder, growing out of dense ignorance, to pray to God to send it, or to ask that when it comes, it will bring blessings to God's people. The Holy Spirit is not merely an influence. He is not some impersonal, vague force released in response to human need to direct or to influence the mind, the disposition, or the actions of a person, whether or not they be in Christ. The Holy Spirit is far more than the mind or the temper or the disposition of God or Christ. The Holy Spirit is not the Bible, the New Testament, the Word of God. He is more than the vital element in Christ and in his truth. The Holy Spirit vitalizes the truth. As a man would, would make and temper and sharpen and execute the use of a sword... So is the Holy Spirit with the word of God. And he wields it perfectly. And he cuts clean. And he cuts true. And he is not a ghost either. It is so very unfortunate that the translators of the King James Version use the term ghost instead of spirit. He is not a floating fog or some kind of ghost-like emanation. For generations, I think people have grown up with the idea that the Holy Spirit is like Casper the Friendly Ghost, that character that probably some of you don't even know who I'm talking about from the 1950s and 60s, a comic book character that became an a animated cartoon character. But the Holy Spirit is not a ghost. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a mystical power. He is a person just as Jesus is a person, and the person Jesus, when referring to the person, the Holy Spirit, used the pronouns to identify him with. He is a divine person. He is one of the three persons in the Godhead. Second, for us to consider then, as a person, the Holy Spirit is concerned about your person. The Holy Spirit personally cares for believers. And let's consider the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That evening when Jesus was with his apostles, his disciples, on that night when he was going to be betrayed and arrested and then taken away to be crucified, well, he was spending time talking to them about the Comforter coming. The promise of the Holy Spirit is, in fact, the culmination of all that Jesus said to comfort those 11 troubled men in that hour of turmoil. They feared being left alone. However, Jesus assured them that they would not be left to fend for themselves. They would have a supernatural helper. The Greek word translated helper, parakletos, literally means one who is called alongside. The King James Version there translates it comforter, which is one of its meanings. 
There are many designations that we find for the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. Spirit of God. In speaking in the possessive, God says, my spirit. Spirit of the Lord, Holy Spirit. Spirit of truth, just spirit. But when we have a phrase like the comforter, it's getting a little more precise in its description. Because it's talking about a job, a job description. To say the comforter would be like to say the doctor, the lawyer, the policeman, the mayor, the carpenter, the salesman, the elder, the deacon, the evangelist. So the work of the Holy Spirit for each and every one of us personally is to be our comforter. This is his role with us after he comes to live in us. That is his job description. Now the Greek word there in John 14 is interesting when Jesus is telling about the coming of this comforter because he uses the word another. Now that might be a helpful clue to us understanding Jesus' meaning here in John 14. There are two Greek words that frequently are translated another. They can be the word heteros or the word alos. Sometimes biblical authors use these words interchangeably, but sometimes they use heteros to speak of another of a different kind and alos to speak of another of the same kind. So like a different gospel that Paul talks about in Galatians or another gospel uh, that we might consider there. But here, Jesus uses the word, or the way that it's recorded, it comes to us in the Greek text, is the word alos, A-L-L-O-S, related to your word allele in genetics or allelic frequencies or you know those kinds of things, things that go together. This could be Jesus' way of saying, I'm sending you one of exactly the same essence as me. He wasn't sending just any helper, but one exactly like himself, with the same compassion, the same attributes of deity, the same love for them. Jesus had been with his disciples for three years. He had helped them. He had comforted them. He had walked beside them. Now they would have another helper, one exactly like Jesus, to minister to them as he had done. Now, while you think about that, By contrast, think about this. In Job chapter 9, verse 33, in your King James, it reads this way. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hands on us both. The word in the King James is daysman. If you go to your ESV, it is the word arbiter. In the ASV and the RSV, it is the word umpire. It is mediator in the New King James, it is arbitrator in the NIV, and it is someone to mediate in the New American Standard Bible. Now the Hebrew here for daysman is yachak, which means to make right, to plead, or argue for the defense, uh, to justify, or a justifier. Consider the context of the book of Job. In the first chapter of Job, what do we find Satan doing regarding Job. In the second chapter of Job, what do we find Satan doing before the Lord regarding Job? He's accusing him, is he not? He's accusing him. Yeah, well, you've made this hedge around him, and if you would just let me at him, you'll find out whether he loves you or not. I know what he's made of. Just let me show you. 
Each member of the Godhead has had or is having his own particular dispensation with man on earth. Meaning the presence of that particular member of the Godhead is going to be more prominent at that time. God the Father's dispensation, that's the Old Testament, and God was on earth via angels. That's how we're shown. Christ was in bodily form as a man, literally on the earth for that period of 33 years, but really those three years of his public work, this is his dispensation. So when is the Holy Spirit's dispensation? Well, it began on the day of Pentecost, and it is until the end of time. One member in this way on earth at a time. The other two members are in heaven at the same time. And there are significant distinctions between Job's day, the dispensation of the Father, and our day, the dispensation of the Holy Spirit, as Job's words indicate. And you look again at, at the first part of that book in chapters 1, 6 through 12, chapter 2, 1 through 6, what Satan was doing was accusing Job. It's, that's why in Revelation he is called the accuser of our brethren, Revelation 12 and 10. You know what that word is in the Greek? Diabolos, like Diablo in Spanish. Do you know another place where we find that word in the New Testament text? We find it in 1 Timothy 3.11 when the qualifications for the officers are being gone over and it says, likewise, their wives should not be slanderers. The word is translated slanderers, accusers. Because of his rebellion in heaven, Satan was cast down to the earth and the earth became his domain. On earth, Satan could realize some of his aspirations, but he could only do this by dethroning or corrupting man. The strategic battle between Satan and God, the pivotal moment seems to have been the Garden of Eden. Because Adam and Eve let that battle go to Satan, he became the prince of this world. In this capacity, then, he also claimed the auspicious title of the accuser of our brethren. Though he was stripped of his former rank, which he enjoyed in heaven, he still for a time enjoyed access to heaven, as the book of Job seems to indicate. But the cross of Christ took care of that. So bearing all of this context in mind, looking again at Job's statement, thinking about what we have compared to what he had, he says he is not a man because he was, it was with God that he was having his contention. God is not a man like I am that he may lay his hands upon us both. Daysmen. In the Greek, it is parakletos, an intercessor, a consoler, an advocate, a comforter. This is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ the righteous. 1 John 2 and 1, my little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. But because of Jesus, we have not just one, we have two comforters. John 14, 16, verse 26, John 15, 26, John 16, 7, that discussion of the Holy Spirit coming, the comforter coming. We see this word used by Jesus, parakletos, in reference to the Holy Spirit. 
Now reflect again on the phrase that he might lay his hands upon us both, the second part of Job 9.33. In eastern lands, it was customary for a judge to place his hands upon the heads of the two parties in a dispute as a demonstration of his authority and to his desire to render an unbiased verdict. So Job's statement implies that no human being is capable of acting as this sort of intercessor between God and man. In Job 16 and 2, he says to his friends, you are a bunch of miserable comforters to his human intercessors. But Jesus became the God-man. 2 Timothy 4 and 8, Acts 10, 42, Acts 17, 31, I'll talk about how we have Jesus as our judge. Jesus is also called our mediator in many, many places. And so likewise is the Holy Spirit designated. So what Job sought, we have. And more than Job could ever have imagined. We have these blessings because of Jesus. We have these blessings with Jesus. We have these blessings in Jesus. And so all believers have two comforters, the Spirit of God within us and the Son of God in heaven. For again, in 1 John 2 and 1, we read, If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, the word advocate is that word parakletos. The disciples must have been so encouraged by these words that Jesus was saying to them, but Jesus' promise extended beyond them and to us. He said in 14.16 that he may be with you forever. Not only would the Holy Spirit come to dwell with them, but he would never leave. The Apostle Paul said that Christ in us is the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Christ promised his spirit would reside in us. John 14, 17, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He was going to be in them, and then he would reside there Permanently, and he will reside in us permanently. Jesus didn't tell the disciples he would come back and leave again, nor did he say he would leave and be back in 2,000 years. He said he would leave, then come back and be in us and with us as long as we live and throughout eternity. Matthew 28, 20, Christ says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He said he would never leave us or forsake us. Hebrews 13 and 5. The Holy Spirit has intellect power of knowing. 1 Corinthians 2 and 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. He has an intellect which requires that he has a mind. Romans 8 and 27, and he who, search, he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit, according to this, also has feelings. There's a lot more implied here in Romans 8 and 27 than mere intellect and just having a mind. For instance, what about our title? Because how can one be grieved unless one has feelings? Can you grieve your car? Can you grieve your computer? Those are its. But you can grieve the Holy Spirit. 
because he has feelings. He has the power to love. Romans 15 and 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. The Holy Spirit has a will or volition. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit can speak. All of these are characteristics of a person, of personhood. Acts 13 and 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. The Holy Spirit can convict. John 16, 8-11. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteous because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And the Holy Spirit can intercede, Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses for we do not know what, we ought, what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit can guide. John 16, 13. When the, Holy, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit can glorify. John 16 and 14. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit Ephesians 4.30 is the guarantor of eternal redemption in Christ for those who believe in him. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And consider also with that chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly that we preach to save those who believe. Finally, the Holy Spirit can be grieved when we reject him and we do not allow him to perform what he is capable to perform in us and through us and for us. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is grieved when God's children refuse to change their old ways of sin for the righteous ways of life in Christ. May we not grieve the Holy Spirit by not knowing him. May we not grieve him by limiting his access into our lives. May we not grieve him by keeping him outside of the door of our hearts where he can do nothing for us. He's waiting there, hoping that we'll invite him in before it is too late. And speaking of invitations, I believe we are scheduled to have one uh, 30 minutes ago. But we will have it now. Whatever needs there might be, please let them be known as we stand and as we sing. <laughs>